Good morning. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And as you turn there, I would like to tell you about some wild boars. On June 23rd, 2018, some wild boars wandered into the Tham Luang Cave in Thailand. Now, the wild boars are not literal animals, but the name of a soccer team, 12 middle school boys and their coach. On June 23rd, they set out for the cave to celebrate a teammate's birthday, leaving their bikes and cleats and setting off into the cave with water and snacks, ready for a fun day of exploration. But they would not emerge from the cave until July 10th. What happened is that sudden rains unexpectedly flooded the cave and the boys found themselves trapped over a mile from the exit with most of the tunnel completely underwater and no one knew exactly where they were. Within 24 hours, rescuers began arriving on the scene. One of the first rescue divers to arrive said that the force of the water in the cave shocked him and tore off his mask when he fell to position himself directly facing the current. He said that it was like walking into a strong waterfall and feeling the water rushing at you. It was a horizontal climb against the water with every move. To the rescuers, the situation felt hopeless. As each day passed, that sense of hopelessness grew and grew. But then on July 2nd, 10 days after the wild boars had disappeared, a pair of British divers discovered the impossible. The 12 boys and their coach sitting together on a ledge above the water. They had run out of food and light, but had managed to survive by sipping condensation off the walls of the cave. Can you imagine the feeling of hopelessness, being perched on a ledge in the dark with no food, no cell phone, no way to know if anyone was going to find you for 10 days? And then suddenly, two divers pop up out of the water. Can you imagine that feeling? At that moment, the rescue operation was on. 10,000 people participated, including 2,000 soldiers, 200 divers, and representatives from 100 government agencies. It took plastic cocoons, floating stretchers, and a rope line that hoisted the players and coach over and through outcroppings. And in the end, the entire wild boar team was brought to safety. Now, I want you to think about your story. Have you ever thought of your story as a rescue story? In Ephesians 2, we're going to see that God has staged a massive rescue operation through Jesus. 
God has staged a massive rescue operation in Jesus. And every single one of us in this room falls into one of two camps. Either you have been rescued by Jesus, or you're still considering the rescue that he offers. So this morning, I want to show you where either you were before Christ or where you are without Christ. And here's our question for this morning. What has God done for you in Jesus? What has God done for you in Jesus? Read with me Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me. Father, I ask that this morning you give us a supernatural insight into your word. I pray that as we read it, as we seek to understand it, that Lord, your spirit is at work, that he renews our hearts, and that he gives us life. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's our question. What has God done for you in Jesus? And I'm going to give you three answers. And the first, it's a long one, but it's an important one. The first answer to our question is this. Before God's rescue, or God rescued you from a hopeless situation. This is what God has done for you in Jesus. He rescued you from a hopeless situation. And in the first three verses of Ephesians 2, Paul breaks this down. He tells us why our situation is so hopeless. What makes our situation hopeless? Well, the first is this. Before God's rescue, you were dead. Before God's rescue, you were dead. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, you may have been physically alive, walking around, breathing, talking, sometimes even enjoying yourself. But without Jesus, you are spiritually dead. How does this work? Well, verse 1 tells us you were dead because of your trespasses or your sins. This is referring to violations of God's law. Now, you may think, okay, this sounds a little dramatic. My sins aren't that big of a deal. I'm not as bad as a lot of people. But think about it this way. If you trespass in my yard, what happens? Like, honestly... Not that much. Worst case scenario, I'll open my door, kind of stick my head out and be like, hey, hey, can I help you? But now think about this, right? 
If you trespass in the yard of the President of the United States at the White House, what happens to you? You get taken down, right? The Secret Service is coming after you and you're going to go to jail. And here's why I tell you this. The consequence of the trespass depends on the one who is trespassed against. The consequence of the trespass depends on who has been trespassed against. The consequence, trespassing against me, not that bad. The president, pretty serious. Now imagine, what happens when you trespass against the God who created the universe? What do you think happens when you break his laws? Well, scripture is clear. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin, of trespassing, is death. I've broken God's law. Every single person in here has broken God's law. Every single person to live has experienced spiritual death. And Paul uses this word dead in this passage to point out the utter hopelessness of every person's spiritual condition without Christ. Spiritually dead people can't do anything to change their situation, just as a physically dead person cannot do anything to change his or her situation. They need rescue. So the first way Paul tells us our situation is hopeless, he says you are spiritually dead. And again, I told you this was a big point, but it's important. The second way Paul tells us that our situation is hopeless is this. Before God's rescue, you were enslaved. Before God's rescue, you were enslaved. And there's three ways he tells us we were enslaved. First, he says that we were following the course of this world. And so he tells us you were ruled by your environment. In other words, whatever the, the world did, whatever the culture did, you went along with it. You did it too. It was your ruler. But then also he says we were ruled by our inner nature. He says that we lived in the passions of our flesh. Honestly, if I'm honest with myself and if you're honest with yourself, you probably don't have to think back very far to think of something you did that you knew to be wrong, but you did anyway simply because you wanted to. Your inner nature showed itself to desire wrong things, and when that nature told you what to do, you did it. You were ruled by your inner nature. But also Paul tells us that we were ruled by a powerful opponent of God. He says that we followed the prince of the power of the air. There is an enemy. And scripture tells us that his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He does have some power. And if you are not in Jesus, you follow that ruler. You belong to his kingdom, not to God's. And no surprise, this person's name is Satan. And if you are not in Christ or before you were in Christ, this is the kingdom you belong to. The things I just gave you, right? It owned you. You were its slave. And when one of them told you what to do, your environment, the, your inner nature, this powerful opponent, when they told you what to do, you did it because you were a slave to it. 
And just to communicate the utter hopelessness of our situation, Paul tells us one more thing. He says, before God's rescue, you were condemned. Before God's rescue, you were condemned. Look at the second or the last part of verse three. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath. Now, wrath is not a nice word. It's one we like to avoid. We do not like to think of God as being wrathful, full of wrath. But Paul is telling us that apart from Christ, you are under God's wrath. And if I were to define wrath, I would define it simply like this. Wrath is God's just response to evil. Wrath is God's just response to evil. And if you hear that and your response is, nope. Nope, God is love and he doesn't, he's not wrathful towards sin. Then I, I, wanna, I just want to push in and I want you to think about that like this. If someone hurts a friend of yours, how do you feel? Angry. You feel angry. If you see someone do wrong, you feel anger. Because what we see is wrong, and it shouldn't be happening, and I'm not okay with it. If someone hurts you, and your friend sees it and just doesn't care, you will feel as if they don't love or care about you, right? To sit idly by when injustice happens is not loving. And so I, I want a God. I don't want a God who just shrugs at injustice. That wouldn't be loving. I don't want a God who just doesn't care when people break his laws. I want a God who will show wrath towards those who do wrong. Except for one thing. I have done wrong. And all of a sudden, it comes crashing in. I can see the hopelessness of where I was before Christ. I was dead. I was enslaved. And I was condemned. The reality is that I spent many years never thinking about what the Bible said about who I was. I thought I was basically a good person who sometimes made mistakes. And I want to tell you this. Until you understand what you're saved from, you can't appreciate what you're saved to. Until you understand what you are saved from, you can't appreciate what you're saved to. Since I thought I was basically a good person, I took my salvation for granted. I had little actual relationship with God. I rarely shared what he was doing in my life. And I found it easy to choose sin. I thought I barely needed rescue. Imagine that those cave divers had popped out of the water, seen the team of wild boars, and said, it's here, rescue has come. And the coach had looked at them and been like, nah, I think we've got it. We got water. A few days, we'll probably be fine. Yo, that's unimaginable. 
because they understood the utter hopelessness of their situation. And as a result, they fell on the rescue that was offered to them. Listen, every single person to ever live, save one, has been in exactly the situation described here. And we have to grasp this. If you do follow Jesus, this is where you were, what Paul describes here. And if you don't follow Jesus, this is where you are. And left to yourself, your situation is hopeless. Except God. Read with me verse 4. But God... In light of this hopeless situation, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So what has God done for us in Jesus? We spent all this time unpacking the utter hopelessness of our situation. But these verses show us this, that God rescued you to life. This is what God has done for you in Jesus. He rescued you to life. God staged an incredible rescue operation through his only son, Jesus. Now, why would God do this? And I love the answer to this question. Why would God rescue us? Verses 4 and 7 tell us why in the world would God choose to save? Verse 4, it's because he's rich in mercy, he's great in love, and then verse 7, so he could display his grace to and through us as his children. And that's it. The reason the Bible gives for why anyone is saved is because God is rich in mercy and love. Yes, he is absolutely just. He is angry towards sin because sin is rebellion against him and harmful to his creation, to us as his creation, whom he loves. But because he's rich in mercy and love, he made a way for you and for me to be in relationship with him, even while we were dead, enslaved, and condemned. Only because he's rich in mercy and love. So how? How did God do this? He made us alive in Jesus. He made us alive in Jesus. Verses five and six, he raised us up in him and then seated us with him in the heavenly places. Jesus died on the cross and then he rose from the dead. He went into death, entered into death, and then God raised him to life. And when you place your faith in Jesus, God joins you with him. He raises you to a completely new life. And that life is Jesus' own life. And not only that, Paul tells us he seats you in heaven. That means the work is done. When you finish a long day of work, you go home and you sit down, which shows that that day of work is done. In the same way, when Jesus accomplished the work of salvation on the cross, the Bible tells us he sits at the right hand of the throne in heaven because his work is done. You don't have to keep working to earn anything. In 1 Peter 3, one of my favorite passages, I'm looking forward to Dr. Greg preaching on that passage. 
says God's word describes salvation using the image of an ark, the ark, uh, from the story of Noah, right? A, a huge boat. And it tells us that just as God placed Noah on an ark, so Noah could escape the waters of God's judgment, God places anyone who has faith in Jesus on a much better ark. And that's Jesus himself. We are joined to Jesus and we go through with him the waters of death and we are raised to resurrection life, brought through judgment to eternal life. We ride this ark through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and God makes us alive in him. And now because of that, three things change. We have now spiritual life, not spiritual death. Where once we were spiritually dead, now we are spiritually alive. We have spiritual freedom, not spiritual slavery. We are forgiven, not condemned. And where before Christ, we were typified by death, by slavery, and by condemnation. Now, God has moved us with Jesus out of this kingdom into the kingdom of his son, where we have life, freedom, and forgiveness. Which begs the question, what did we do? What did we do? Read with me verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You probably know the answer already. What did you do? It's nothing. You did nothing, not a thing. What can a dead person do to come back to life? Nothing. What can a slave do to stop being a slave? Nothing. He must be set free. What can a condemned man do to make himself not guilty? Nothing. What can you or I do to rescue ourselves from a hopeless situation? Nothing. God alone can rescue you and me. And he did it. He did it. The good news of verse 8 and 9 is that you can do and you have done nothing to earn your salvation. You are as equally saved on your worst day as you are on your best. So now you may be wondering, how in the world can anyone know they're saved? And that's a great question. It's one we wrestle with a lot in the college ministry. As it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Both faith and grace. A gift of God. Here's what I want you to know. Faith is a gift from God, not something awesome you do. Faith is a gift from God, not something awesome you do. You don't have to worry about whether or not your faith is good enough or strong enough because it has been given to you by God himself. Many people spend time worrying over or whether or not they have enough faith to be saved, to which Paul is saying, whatever faith you have comes from God, and it's evidence that he has already given you grace. If you have faith, yes, you want to, to steward that faith and cultivate it and see it grow, but you don't have to have enough faith to get God's approval because he's already given you all that he requires. 
Also, this means that if you desire to follow God, that's something he put in you because spiritually dead people don't desire to follow God. It's evidence that he's already working in your life. So college students, youth, men and women, if you have that desire, run towards it because it's evidence he's at work in your life. So as we think about the hopelessness of our situation, as we think about what God offers, how do we respond to the rescue that's being offered in Jesus? I think scripture is clear. If you believe that your situation is hopeless and you need rescue from God, then you must receive Christ. You must receive Christ. Now, something I want to do, I want to introduce y'all to my buddy Jack Bauer here. He's going to come stand right up here. Jack uh, is a sophomore at MC. His granddad is Bill Bauer, who many of you may know. So Jack is a buddy of mine. He helps me out a lot. He's a drummer here in the college ministry. And Jack, I would just love to give you a gift. Now, I have up here a crisp George Washington. I am only a college minister, so we're just going to pretend that there's a couple of extra zeros on here. Jack, I would like to give you a gift, bud. Now, what does Jack need to do to take this gift? He just needs to take it. He just needs to reach out and grab it. Thank you, sir. That's yours, man. <laughs> Don't spend it all in one place. Now, what did, what did <laughs> Jack's fine lunch. <laughs> what, did, what did Jack need to do to receive the gift? Simply take it. He just needed to take it. In our hopeless situation, when God offers us the free gift of grace in Christ, what should we do? Simply receive it. Now, the Bible uses a couple of words that I love that, that describes what's happening in our hearts. I don't describe these as things we do. I simply uh, describe what's happening, right? And it's from Mark 1.14, where Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. And he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So these two words describe what's happening in our lives as God begins a new work. Repent, we admit our situation is hopeless and we fall on God's mercy. Repentance is understanding that you can do nothing to make up for your sin and you beg God for mercy. But then second, belief, trusting that Jesus did what you couldn't. He lived a perfect life and died on a cross so you wouldn't have to. So repentance is this turning away from the old sinful self and belief is turning towards Christ. And you may think, okay, repent and belief, that sounds like you're telling me to do something, Drew, and you just told me I can't do anything. And to that, I would say no. I'd say no, think about the wild boars. They could do nothing to rescue themselves. And when rescue arrived, in order to receive the rescue that was offered to them, they needed to turn from clinging to the ledge that they had been depending on and turn to the rescue that was offered. To say, we cannot save ourselves, but you can save us. That's it. That's what the Bible's describing when it uses these words, repent and believe. That's not doing something. It's just accepting that someone else has gained the rescue for you. 
which is exactly what Jesus has done for us. And when you receive Christ, it's done. The old sinful you is dead. He doesn't exist anymore. Yes, you may continue to sin, and Jesus is continuing to work on us, but now there's a new creation, and you are filled with the Spirit of God. And you don't have to worry about your salvation anymore. And everything changes. Because God has rescued you for new purpose. He's rescued you for new purpose. This is the final thing that God has done for us in Jesus. He's rescued us for new purpose. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared good works for you. Now, your job isn't to try to ascertain the mysterious plan of God. Your job is to simply walk forward doing things that glorify Him. Because every single good work you do was prepared for you by God Himself. I love that. And I I think this is important to get because we often get it backwards. We get it backwards. Here's what we think. We think that my good works cause my salvation. And God responds to my doing good things by saving me. And so the result is on days where we don't have it together, we fear for our salvation. But in reality, what Ephesians 2 tells us is that God is the cause of my salvation. And my good works are a response to God's work in me. We are God's work. He saved us to a purpose, to glorify his name through good works. So here's where I want you to to just kind of pause and, and think. Have a moment to respond internally. Where are you? Have you been rescued? Are you in the first kingdom we described, the utter hopelessness of being ruled by death, being enslaved, standing condemned? Or are you in the kingdom of Christ where there's life, freedom, and forgiveness? Because if you haven't, this morning, now, God is extending to you rescue in Jesus. And if this morning you are hearing the weight of God's word and you're recognizing that God is showing you where you are, then I would say respond by believing God offers rescue in Jesus and simply receive it. Fall on his mercy. He will surely give it. But if you're in here today and you do follow Jesus, then I want you to think about your story. Is it a rescue story? Is it about how God came down, the Son of God came down and rescued you? Or do you continue to operate as if you were someone who just barely needed to be saved? You know, when I think about the story of those middle school kids who spent 10 days in the pitch black of a cave with no food, I can't help but think that those kids live differently. I don't know, but I think it's got to be hard to take life for granted when you understand the cost of having been rescued. Followers of Jesus, the cost of your rescue 
was the life of God's own son. So let's respond with lives lived in worship of him. Please pray with me. Father, I ask this morning that you remind us of who Jesus is. Father, I ask that you remind us of who we were and what you have rescued us out of. And Lord, how you bought us life, freedom, and forgiveness through Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here, you will begin a work in their lives and that they will respond by believing and trusting in Christ. That they will see who they are and fall on Jesus' mercy. And I pray as we go that we will carry this good news with us and that we will live lives of worship. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.